This morning we are finishing our series that we have started this new year off with on our church's mission statement entitled uh, Discovering Fellowship. That's been the name of this uh, series that we've been doing each week. We have started this series off by looking at our church's mission statement. So let's begin again quickly by by looking at our, our mission statement up on the screen. This is in your bulletins, by the way, as well. It says this, Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. What we want to see happen, what we're praying that will happen in and through the ministries of our church and the people of our churches, we want to see people who don't know Christ come to know Him, come to repentance and faith in Him. And then we want to take those people from where they are and move them forward in their faith, come alongside them, pour into them, sharpen them so that they grow to be more like Jesus. And then we also want to equip them to do likewise, to go out and escort others to Christ and establish others in the truth and equip others for ministry so that this church is built up and so that God's gospel moves out and his kingdom advances. And we've been talking about the fact that that this is the place where that happens. The church is the place where escorting and establishing and equipping are to occur. And this week we're going to end our our series by talking about missions and, and about how taking part in missions by learning about missions, praying for missions, giving to missions, and going on mission. We're going to talk about how that that benefits you. We're going to talk about opportunities that we provide for you to do that and how that benefits you, blesses the church, and advances God's kingdom. As many of you know, our church supports a number of different missionaries and, and missions works around the, around the world, and we're, we're involved in uh, a number of things, and we take part by sending teams as well. And if you want more information on that, get on uh, fellowshipjacksonville.com and check on our, our look at our international mission work that we have going on for more information on that. But in the past, when we have, have talked about as leadership and, and, and discussed what works to be involved in, what kind of short-term work we should do, there are normally three questions that we ask. Number one, where do we go? Number two, what do we do when we get there? And number three, why? Why should we go to that particular place, and why should we do whatever we're doing? Why should we go and do that Biblically, where do we go? What do we do when we get there? And why should we do that and go to that place biblically? These are important questions to ask and and answer before you enter into any kind of mission work. Well, this morning, we're going to answer those questions by looking at the short-term mission ministry of 
Paul and Silas, okay? We're going to see in their short-term trip to Thessalonica, short-term mission work done right. We're going to draw out some application from this passage of Scripture for ourselves as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 this morning. And though you've probably read through that before and don't think there's a lot going on there, there really is. There really is. So we're going to camp out and I'm going to show you that, all right? And since we're jumping in a ways into Acts, let me begin by giving you a little bit of background here. The events recorded here take place during Paul's missionary journey, okay? And in the book of Acts, it's really broken up into the different places God's people go, but also focusing in on two different individuals in particular. Luke wrote Acts, and in the first third of the book, his focus is primarily on Peter and his ministry to the Jewish people and the Jewish church being started. And then the, the, the last two-thirds of the book of Acts, the focus shifts to the ministry of the Apostle Paul primarily and his work to the Jews, but mainly to the, to the Gentiles. So we're focused in, we're in Acts 17, so we're focused in on, on Paul's mission journey. And this took place, this passage here, this account here in this passage, took place during Paul's second missionary journey. It's been Paul and Silas the whole way on this journey. They picked up and they dropped off a few along the way. There were as many as four on this trip. Timothy was with them for a time. They also pick up Luke, and it's real interesting when you read Acts, when Luke is with them, he, he moves to the, to the first person. And uh, so that's a, that's a good way to know when Luke is with them, and sometimes it, it, we're told that Luke is with them, okay? But right now it's Paul and Silas, and right before this passage we read about Paul and Silas's ministry in Philippi. Many of y'all are familiar with that account, right? Remember, they were jailed there. Then they were released from jail after having a, a, a divine encounter, a, a, a divine appointment with this Philippian jailer who was saved in his household, right? And they were released from prison. They stayed in the city for, for a while to comfort and encourage the new converts there. And in our passage for today, we learn that they are continuing on their mission journey about 100 miles down the road to a city called Thessalonica. And this morning, I want to discuss this journey and this mission work that, that took place in this city and what resulted from this work. And I want to answer these three questions as we do that. Where did they go? What did they do when they got there? And why did they go to this place and do the work they did? And then at the end of service, we're going to do something a bit unique. I'm going to share with you about some mission work that, that we are doing, that's some, some trips that are coming up and some work that we're involved in and where we're going and why we do that and how you can be involved in that. And then we're going to have Ron come up and, and share as well about an upcoming opportunity that he's going to be involved in. He's going to share with you how you can be a part of the work that, that he's going to be doing with Jim and, uh, and why you should be involved in that as well. So we're going to end with that. But first, let's look at where they went, where Paul and Silas went. As we said already, they went to Thessalonica. But I want you to notice, point number one, they went to a strategic place. They went to a strategic place. 
Look at verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, as we said a minute ago, Thessalonica was close to 100 miles from Philippi. Take a look at this map up on the screen. This will kind of let you know where Paul has been so far on this missionary journey. All the red squares are where Paul went, and the white square there, that's where Barnabas's team went when they split ways. But you notice all the red squares are Paul, and then go to the next one, the, the next slide there. There you go. That's Thessalonica, and the one right next to it is Philippi. Now, that doesn't look like a long distance from here, right? But it is, all right? It's, it's about 100 miles again. So uh, a long stretch on foot. We know they probably traveled by the Roman roads from Philippi to Thessalonica, which would have made the trip easier, but it was still long, right? I mean, the, the Romans, they maintained their highways back then. They kept them safe from criminals and thieves and, and bandits, so they would have had uh, an easy journey on those roads, easier and, and, and more trouble-free. Yet, though that's the case, this is still a big trip. It would have taken them several days. They would have had to stop off at a few different places and stay the night. But Luke makes it sound like they don't do much until they get to Thessalonica. It just says they pass through the cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia. Now, why did didn't they stop and minister there for a longer period of time? We don't have that. Seems like they were just had their minds set on getting to Thessalonica. I'm sure those people needed Jesus too, right? They could have just stopped along the way. And, and you think if anything incredible happened, Luke would have given it to us. Why did they set their sights on this city? Why do Paul and Silas have tunnel vision to Thessalonica from, from Philippi. Well, one reason is, of course, because they were guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, right? You see those two big red X's? The Spirit of God, we're told, did not allow for them to, to go to these areas, and, and they were being led by the Spirit there. So, so we, we know that is why they made it eventually to Thessalonica. And though Luke doesn't give us any other reasons here, we can draw some conclusions on why they went when we study about this city and the other cities that Paul went and ministered to. These cities were not selected at random and for no good reason. Thessalonica, like Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi on a smaller scale, was an important city. Had a population of about 200,000 it was the capital of Macedonia, and we learn that Paul often went into these cities, to these urban centers, because there were lots of people in many of these cities from lots of different areas, and they, many of them were coming and going for business reasons, for political reasons. There were a lot of people who were transplants from other areas, and they had connections with other people in other places, like Lydia who was from Asia, but was living in 
Philippi. So more than likely, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others targeted these urban areas to maximize the spread of the gospel to these surrounding areas. And as you continue to study Christian history, which we're doing right now, right? We're going to see this beyond Scripture. You see, that's exactly what happened in these cities. They branched out to areas around them and and eventually came together, and the gospel was just saturated across that area. So Paul had a strategy, right? The Spirit of God who led them had a strategy. Our God is strategic. In, in, the way, in the way he gets his gospel out. Notice the end of verse 1, we're told that Paul and Silas went to the synagogue in Thessalonica. So not only did they go to a strategic city, they went to a strategic place in the city. This is the place where the Jewish people met for worship and study. Now, Paul was primarily an apostle to the non-Jewish folks. Yet, we see in his missionary journeys, he always hit up the synagogues first if there was one. There was one in Thessalonica, so he and Silas hit it up, and, and there they meet with the Jews for study and worship. And they do this for several reasons. One, because there would have been an open door there at the time for guys like Paul and Silas. They were Jews, they were leaders, and, and they, they were leaders and, and teachers, and so they would have had uh, would have been welcomed in and even invited to teach. Paul was a Jew with great training. He studied under the great Gamaliel, known at that time as Rabban Gamaliel, Master Gamaliel. Paul was from good stock. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. That was the tribe of King Saul, all right? He had a great pedigree, very impressive. Silas was a well-respected Jewish prophet from the Jewish congregation in Jerusalem. And synagogues were places where Paul and Silas, people like them, would have had an immediate audience. They would have been given the opportunity to to share and to teach. And it was great for them because they had a Jewish audience who understood the scriptures so they could make connections really quickly to Jesus, right? The Jewish people in the synagogues, they knew the Old Testament very well. They had just left Christ out. And so this was a place where there would be an open door for them to to show and share Christ from the scriptures, They also liked to go to the synagogues because the same Jews met in the same place on a regular basis. Notice in verse 2, we're told that Paul met with them on three separate Sabbath days. Now, this might not have been consecutive weeks. Many argue from uh, the verses in Scripture that Paul and Silas stayed in Thessalonica for a longer period than that, longer than a month. But they were still there for a short period of time. Luke tells us three different opportunities when they shared Christ with the same group of Jews. Paul and Silas also knew that if they went to the Gentiles first, then they might not have an audience with the Jews later. So they did not want the door to close on them being able to share with the Jewish people how they could be 
saved. And, and so uh, they, they, they shared with them first so that they could still go out and share with the Gentiles as well. And also, if some of the Jews would have responded with repentance and faith, they could then equip them to go out and minister pretty quickly because they knew the Scriptures minus Jesus. So they would have had, also had connections with others in the city and a good, solid start for a church there. Do you see the strategy? So Paul and Silas, they had a good strategy in ministry. They picked a very strategic city and a strategic place within the city. Great strategy, folks. God wants us to be strategic in this way in ministry. He does. He wants you to look at people you have an audience with. People, people who have the same beliefs. Similar beliefs, similar background, who, who we understand. He wants us to meet with them where they are, take them from where they are and lead them and bring them to Jesus. He wants you to be bridges for those types of people. Paul and Silas and others, they did this, and as a result, they were fruitful in ministry. You're going to be challenged in your study guide this week. Be sure and be doing that each week. You're going to be challenged to develop a plan to minister to those around you, those in your home, those in your neighborhood, those in the workplace, those you have an audience with. I, I, I'm going to challenge you this week to pray about and put a plan together on, on how you can minister where God has you to the people he has placed in your life. One of the keys to fruitful ministry is to have a strategic plan like this. So that's where they went. What did they do when they got there? Point number two, Paul and Silas shared an important message. They had a plan when they got there, didn't they? They shared an important message, God's gospel message. Look at verses 2 and 3. And Paul went in, as was custom, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining, underline these words, these descriptive words here, reasoned, underline that, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. What did Paul and Silas do when they got to the synagogue in Thessalonica? They shared Christ with them. Not once in a 10-minute presentation, then invitation. They didn't just go and saturate the area with gospel tracts and leave. They stayed for weeks. They, they spent Sabbaths talking about Jesus. Notice the words that Luke uses here. He says Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The word reasoned is the Greek word dialegomai. It's where we get our word dialogue. He dialogued with them. He discussed. He preached to them from the Scriptures. Notice what else Luke says. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So he reasoned, he explained, he proved. That means he appealed to common sense and he was convincing that the Messiah was to suffer and die and that it was necessary for him to do so and rise again. He made connections to Jesus. He explained to them that Jesus had done this. He, Jesus the Messiah, had, had accomplished salvation. He is the promised one. 
He has accomplished this great work through his death and resurrection. We're told Paul proclaimed. There's another great word to describe what he and Silas did in the synagogue in Thessalonica. He proclaimed, he announced, he pronounced that, that, that Jesus is the Christ. So for three Sabbaths, they reasoned, explained, proved, and proclaimed from Scripture that Jesus is the Christ and about the importance of his suffering and his death and resurrection. Folks, are you making the best use of the time that God has given you with friends and family, neighbors and coworkers, those whom God has put into your life? We need to take advantage of, of every opportunity. He has given us a message that's worth sharing. We must share it. This is a message, believers, that's changed our lives, right? In the best possible way. The most important message in the world is gospel message. God has given it to us to share. Are you making the most out of every opportunity by making this message known? Talking about the fact that Christ came from heaven to earth for us. God the Son took on flesh. He condescended down to us. He, he was born among us. He lived among us. He stepped out of eternity and into the world in which he created we talked about that last week. He lived for us. The perfect life we could never live. The life Adam failed to live. The life we all failed to live. He obeyed God perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness for us in our place. And he laid his life down. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember? And he did that for you and me. That's the death we deserve to die. Christ died that death. Died as our substitute and sacrifice. And we're told that, that God made him who knew no sin, sin for us so that we through faith alone in him alone could receive his righteousness for ourselves and be made righteous. He did that for us. He died and was buried and he rose again and he lives forevermore and we who trust in him alone for salvation, we have life in him, in his name, forever, spiritually and, 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 and physically forever we will with him, with his people forever in glory. We need to be sharing that work and the necessity of that work. I don't know where God is going to lead every one of you in here Maybe he's going to keep you right here in Jacksonville forever. Maybe he's going to lead you somewhere else someday soon. I don't know, but what I do know is what you're to be doing as long as you're here or when you get there. You're to be doing this right here, believers. It doesn't change. Wherever God leads you in life, wherever you're thrown, that's where your ministry continues. It's not ultimately for the job. It's not ultimately for, for the car and the house and where you're going to live and where your kids go to school. That, those are secondary. God has created you for his purposes and for his glory. And if that is not driving you, you're not living the life God created you to live. It's true. You're to be doing this right here. Wherever God leads you in life, you're to be reasoning with people from the scriptures. You're to be explaining and proving and proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. You're to be plugging into the ministries we provide here where we allow you to do that. We have opportunities in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry, in our adult ministries for you to be involved in people's lives and speak in and speak about and share the gospel with people who need to hear it. You have opportunities here. You have opportunities outside of this place in, in local 
places where, where we're connected. I think about Father's Love and other ministries like that where you have an opportunity to, to get involved and plug in and be the light of the gospel shining in a dark and dead world. You have opportunities through, through missions as well. We have a lot of mission opportunities. Wonderful ways for you to support that work through praying and giving and also by going. You know what happens when you do that? You benefit. Again, the recipient of the gospel always benefits when the gospel is shared faithfully and when it's proclaimed, but you benefit as well. You become more of the disciple that God's called you to be. You grow in godliness through that. It's an essential part of your growth in godliness. We see Paul and Silas, they took advantage of this. They went to a strategic place. They shared an important message. Number three, they do it to advance God's kingdom. Why do they do it? For what reason? Do they go to a strategic place, share this important message to advance God's kingdom? They went to the synagogue in Thessalonica because they had been commissioned by Christ to be his witnesses and make disciples and advance his kingdom. That's the reason they went. That's the reason they preached Christ, and that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So Paul and Silas, they're faithful. They go to this city and they see God bring great fruit in this city. We're told that some of the Jews and, and many of the devout Greeks came to Christ in this city. And that devout Greek, that may kind of confuse some of you, but what commentators believe, and I, I, I agree that they're referring to the God-fearers here. They're made mention of several times throughout the book of Acts. Remember, Cornelius was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile who was fed up with the paganism in their uh, context, right? They, they had kind of rejected the polytheistic, paganistic beliefs, and they chose to embrace Judaism, and they became a convert to Judaism. Now, they were not, many of them, they were Jewish converts, not yet Christ followers. Cornelius eventually becomes a Christ follower. But uh, that's, that's what I think is meant here when he makes mention of the devout Greeks. So you have the Jewish people, the devout Greeks, come to Christ, right? And also the women. Many women in the city, like in Philippi, women played a pivotal role in the start of the church in Thessalonica. So we see here that the, the church, like the church in Antioch, the churches in Galatia, uh, they're, they're made up of Jews and Gentiles, the early church here in Thessalonica, men and women. God's kingdom is a diverse kingdom, is it not? The more and more Paul and the others go out, push this message out, the more diverse it becomes, and that's what God wants. He wants to be known by all peoples everywhere, Jew and Gentile, men and women, black and white, people of every race and tribe and tongue to the ends of the earth. God's heart is for the nations. That's the reason why we're gathered here today. Do you know that, believers? Believe it or not, Christianity didn't start in Texas. It didn't. We are recipients of the promise that God made to Abraham through your people will all the nations be blessed. And we're the recipient of that blessing. 
because God wants to be known where he is not known. That's the reason Paul and Silas go to this city to preach Christ. They go to preach and advance God's kingdom, and that's what happens. But I want you to notice something else that we see here. Though great fruit comes through this great work in this city, Paul and Silas, especially the, the, the new converts in this city, they experience also, they experience opposition. There is kickback here. Folks, this is a guarantee. When God is doing a great work, you better believe that the enemy is going to fight back. Paul experienced this everywhere he ministered, which showed how successful he was in ministry, right? The great work God was doing. He experienced pay, uh, kickback in Paphos in the region of Galatia and Philippi and now in Thessalonica. Now notice he and Silas, they don't experience this directly. That didn't always happen, but they're, they're hidden away. They're not able to be found, but those associated with Paul and Silas are persecuted. During Paul's first missionary journey, he delivers a sobering message to new believers Imagine being gathered with new converts to Christianity and telling them this, Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow, thanks, Paul, right? Paul tells them this right off the bat because he knows being associated with the apostles and, and being associated with Christ and this message means they are going to receive kickback. They are going to experience persecution sometimes right away and many of them do we see that here in Thessalonica with a man named Jason and other followers of Jesus look, look at verse 5 but the Jews were jealous and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble in other words uh, some of the worthless men that's what that word meant worthless wicked men from the marketplace they formed a mob set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Notice here in this passage, we see there are enemies of the cross here. Enemies from the marketplace and, and Jewish enemies, Gentile enemies. This mob stirs up in this city and they attack God's people and this kingdom work that's taking place. And we are told they attack the house of Jason specifically because they were wanting to get to Paul and Silas. They wanted Paul and Silas, couldn't get to them, so they thought, we'll go after the next best thing, their followers. Look at verse 6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, some of the brothers, before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, underline that, have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Underline that. Now, what we gather here from this passage is that Paul and Silas were staying at this guy's house, this guy named Jason, who lived in Thessalonica. There's no reason to believe they knew Jason before coming to Thessalonica. Many commentators believe he might have owned an inn in the city, and that's where they stayed, and it seems as if they had made a, a big impact in Jason's life, right? We're not told here, but it seems as if he, he might have given his life to the Lord Jesus. He probably would not have stood 
for them had he rejected their message. So he's standing for them, probably standing for the message here. And these jealous and zealous Jews, because they could not find Paul and Silas, they seized the next best thing, their followers. We're told in verse 6 that they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities and notice what they accuse Paul and Silas of. This is great. They say, these men have turned the world upside down. That's what they accused Paul and Silas of. They, they said, these troublemakers have changed the world with their message. They have turned the world upside down with the gospel. What a wonderful thing to be accused of. What if we were accused of that, church? Fellowship Bible Church is turning East Texas upside down for the gospel with that message. They are turning the country, turning the world upside down. Listen, that message is that powerful. It is. We see that here in just a couple of individuals in an entire city and beyond. That would be awesome. But notice how the enemy is at work here. These Jews, they, they come up with a, a, a plan, a lie to accuse these men. They said, these men, they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, King Jesus. Wonderful message. Another wonderful thing to be accused of. That they're preaching Jesus. But they're acting as if they are champions for Caesar here, right? So they, they say that the reason they are opposed to the ministry of, of Paul and, and Silas is out of a zeal for Caesar. They say that these Christians are saying there's another king and that his name is Jesus. And they say that's the reason we're opposed to Paul and Silas. But Luke lets us know in the passage why they, why they are opposed to him. He lets us know it's a lie. Look at the first part of verse 5. The reason these Jews were opposed to Paul and Silas is not because what they were doing were against the decrees of Caesar. Luke tells us the Jews were jealous. They were jealous. Jealousy is what drove them. Jealousy was the real reason that Paul and Silas, they wanted their ministry put to an end. They were jealous of the success of these two men. They wanted the spotlight on them. They wanted to be the spiritual leaders. They wanted to be the, the influencers. They were jealous of their success. We're told elsewhere that they also, the Jewish people, did not like the message of Christianity. You know why? Because one, it included Gentiles, and they didn't like that. They wanted to be the bucket of blessing that God was filling up and pouring himself out on, and only them, no one else. They didn't want the Gentiles in on their party to be a part of God's people. They didn't like the message that said Jew and Gentile are now one. Christ is broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility made the two one in him. They didn't like that. They also didn't like the fact that they were told there was nothing they could do to be made right. They had to reject their filthy works and humble themselves and bow their knee to King Jesus and trust in him alone for salvation. They like to think that their works counted for something when it came to salvation. Paul and the other says it counts for nothing. That condemns you to hell, trusting in your own works. You need to trust in Christ alone. They didn't like that, but that's the truth. 
And that's the gospel of Paul and Silas, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We are in complete need of Jesus and that Jesus came and he accomplished our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. And all who trust in him alone for salvation are forgiven of sin and restored to God. Faith alone, in Christ alone, they despised that message. So they wanted to put a stop to this ministry. And notice what they do, verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So apparently some money was paid. They'll take money, right? That's, that's where their true treasure is. They're not even truly real passionate about the message, right? They'll take a payoff. So they, they take money. This was paid, uh, seems to be functioning sort of like bail money for them. And uh, it, it seems as if many commentators believe that this might have been given with the promise that Paul and Silas would leave Thessalonica never to return. When writing his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we wanted to return to you, but he said Satan hindered us, so they were not allowed to return. Many believe that's a, a reference to the agreement that was made between the city authorities and Jason and the other believers. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that they were, were, were kept by Satan from uh, returning. And though Paul and Silas were not able to return, they left a good number of believers there, we see, and they continued to grow the believers there, and, and God starts a great church in this city. Paul later says of the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spoke highly of this church. God does an incredible work here in this city through Paul and Silas. Even though Satan was hard at work stirring up trouble and despite the fact that, that he hinders Paul from returning to this city, God does a great work through these great men and brings this great church into existence and they make an impact God's at work at times things get hard in ministry right but that doesn't mean we need to be looking for a back door out of a ministry don't believe those who write under the banner of the cross and say Christianity is, Christianity is just about a, an, an easy trial free life that's a lie that's a lie just read about the apostles. Read about the life of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and you'll see otherwise. A teaching counter to that. But listen, Satan's at work where God's working, and God wins. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. And we see that here, right? And we see that over and over again. Well, to close this out, let me say this. Notice Paul and Silas left two very different groups in Thessalonica. Again, we're told there are some Jews who believed and, and joined with Paul and Silas. There were also some devout Greeks and, and many women in this city, a great response. But notice you also have those who rejected this message, rejected Jesus, a group of 
jealous Jews who formed a mob made up of, of wicked and worthless men of the marketplace who set the city in an uproar and they, they persecuted the, the believers there. Two groups of people that are left here, Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers, followers of Christ and those opposed to Christ, children of God and enemies of God. And guess what? It's about to get sobering in here. There are two groups, these two groups of people here this morning. There are. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. You, you kind of take offense at that. You're thinking, well, well, I'm not like them. I'm not an enemy of God's people. I'm not an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not hostile toward the gospel and toward his people. I'm here this morning, aren't I? Listen, Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me, and there is no in-between. That's, that's just what he said. He said, either I'm your Lord or you're my enemy. No in-between. It's all of one or the other. We are all in one of two groups, and the difference between us is Jesus. If you're here today, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. I pray that changes for you this morning. I pray that God will make it clear to you you are a sinner in need of what Christ has done for you, and I pray you would forsake your sin and make Christ Lord of your life today and be saved. If you've never made that decision, now's the time. Today's the day to do it. Let me pray for you.